You're listening to a podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books. The moment I walked into the kitchen, I knew it was all over. My grandmother, she was fussing about, but worse than that, she was wearing her sensible shoes. And that combination could only mean one thing. We are going out. Grandma was very impressive, even though she wasn't all that big. When I stood tippy-toe, she, she wasn't much, that much higher than me. But she was substantial. In fact, she was a bit like three onions. The smallest one for the head, then under that a middle-sized one, and then a very, very big one for all the rest of her, all the way down to her sensible shoes. And when we went out, it was like a battleship leaving harbour as she steamed through doors and gateways with her escorts mind-sweeping and being dispatched off with official instructions to get things done before she got back. But that morning... Not only had she laced on her sensible shoes, but she'd put on her best dress, taken her best handbag, twined the twin foxes about her shoulders, pinned on that hat with the ostrich feather, and she'd gathered up a string bags full of parcels wrapped in newspaper and a special cloth in an oilskin bag just in case. I had the two junket tablets before we left. Well... We left at the stroke of ten. That was to avoid the night shift women from the munitions factory in the chocolate place. Then, out in the mainstream of St Albans Street, we advanced on the tram stop. Our trams have had many champions over the years. In my then whole lifetime of five years of experience, I wasn't one of them. The Abbotsford trams, they were old, continually repainted cream and green. They smelled like a mixture of varnish and castor oil. They were called toast racks. Each narrow compartment was designed to hold about seven passengers aside, with the conductor clambering along the running board outside. Other suburbs had modern trams with an indoor corridor, glass doors and cushioned seats. But my grandmother said that our toast racks were cooler and the North Shore people with their new money, they knew what they could do with their cushioned seats. Well, I didn't care what sort of trams they were. I got sick in all of them. And after a few years of being regular tram sick, even the sight of tram tracks would make me feel queasy and I especially hated the tram stop. You couldn't do anything. You had to stand there while Grandma would talk to some old bloke about what the King said to the Queen the night before. Well, i never seen the King in St Albert Street. You'd know him by his hat. But there were some good things about our tram stop. That tram stop was the beginning of my religious life. That moment I stood there with my eyes almost shut and I said, Dear God, that's how you had to start. If you didn't start like that, you didn't get anything. But that morning, I quietly prayed that so long as no one got hurt, would he 
send over an enemy aeroplane to drop a bomb on the Abbotsford tram tracks. But he didn't. Everyone said he was too busy at the front. My dad was at the front. Actually, he wasn't. I went round the front and there was never anyone there. At our place, everyone came in through the back door. I even went to the front of Mrs Richardson's house next door. There was no one there either. I went to the front of every house in St Albans Street. It was the same. If you could have found the right front, you could have got them to sort of come home and we could have got things. My big brother wanted a bicycle, but they said he had to wait until our father came home from the front. Well, the tram arrived from Abbotsford Point and we climbed into our back compartment and took up our special positions. I sat on the outside seat at the back row against the open doorway facing the front. My grandmother sat on the seat opposite with a commanding view of any action I might take. She kept her eye on me. She didn't say anything, but I knew her look said, Don't you dare disgrace me. Well, this back seat strategy... It had the dual effect of giving me maximum fresh air when I was well and maximum room to move without spoiling clothes of other passengers when I wasn't. Well, we sat on the left-hand side of the tram so that if I had to lean out, I wouldn't get my head chopped off by a tram going the other way. She thought of everything, my grandmother. She was very resourceful. I followed our usual drill. First... I counted telegraph poles. It was boring. They're all the same. Some are a bit square at the bottom, some are painted black near the footpath, but really they're all the same. And at 19 poles, I wasn't sure if I had to add on one or take away to get to 20. And I started to think of something else. Well, Grandma noticed. She didn't say anything, but she made the big feather flick up and down. That meant... I could forget the poles and start counting dogs instead. Well, it didn't work, but it's more fun than the telegraph poles. And sometimes you only saw a bit of the dog peeping out from a gate, or you only saw his tail. And with a bit of luck, you'd see a dog fight, and that'd give you three for the price of one. But best of all, every time you saw a cat, it counted for two dogs. Well, it didn't work. And by the time we got... To fifteen dogs, I was feeling swallowy, and I had that throat-tightening proof that arithmetic was a very unreliable science. And by the time we got to the five-dog picture show, I had lost count of dogs, and not only was my neck feeling tight, but I felt that my hat was too tight, even though I wasn't wearing one. Well, the other compartments gradually filled up. Most of the other passengers were grandmothers and they looked the tram over before they climbed in. If they saw a swallowy-looking kid sitting in that seat, they'd sit upwind. At the main stop in Five Dock, a lady had trouble getting in. Grandma was substantial, but this lady was very, very fat. I wasn't allowed to say so, but she was and she had a bundle of newspapers and a string bag full of wrapped-up parcels and a white cardboard cake box. My grandmother leaned out and took the cake box 
and one of the string bags. That meant the lady could get a grip on the two handles and haul herself up into the compartment. And she eased herself down right next to me, sort of spreading out as she subsided onto the wooden seat. Well, the seats were made of wooden slats with gaps between each slat. And I had a quick look to see how much of a bottom would squeeze down through the gaps. Well, Grandma noticed. And that black look came back to me. Don't you dare. She said she knew what side of the family that came from. When the lady was really settled, Grandma handed back the cake. I wondered what sort of cake it was. You needed a lot of coupons to get a cake. But I didn't have long to wait. The lady looked down at me and smiled. <laughs> this is for my son Jack. He's back from New Guinea today. It's a chocolate heart sponge. He loves chocolate. <laughs> Takes after his mum. And all the ladies in the compartment chuckled. I hope he's all right, said my grandmother. Well, missus, she said, he's home for a while and that's the main thing. And all the ladies nodded and agreed that being home was the main thing. Actually, they all nodded anyway. The tram rocked backwards and forwards all the time. You couldn't help nodding. Jack's mum looked down at me, then looked at my grandmother. This isn't your kitty. Grandma shook her head. No, he's my second daughter's second. He's with me. His father's in Malta with the Navy. Oh, they go all over the place. We never go anywhere, thank God. But he looks like a nice little kitty. He'll do, said my grandma. They're all all right at that age. Jack's mum nodded and all the ladies agreed and nodded that we were all all right at that age. I tried to join in instead of counting dogs. I said, we're going to see my mum. Good boy, she said. His mum's at home, she asked my grandmother. Today he has got the day off. Hmm, Jack's mum leaned towards grandma. Factory? Munitions. I knew you couldn't say anything about that out loud in case there was an enemy submarine under the tram. Jack's mum nodded. My Nellie's the same. You know what they do, missus? When a big bomb thing comes on the line, some of them girls, they kiss it. Funny, isn't it? Grandma said it was. She said, it's bloody hilarious. Then Jack's mum fixed her eye on me again. Where's your mummy work? Now I know the answer to this one. I don't know, I recited. And she patted me on the knee. That's another thing about grown-ups. There you are, sitting there in your short pants, and every second lady who talks to you, she pats you on the knee, just to make sure you're listening. You try doing it back, just in case. See how far you get. Good boy, she said. You'll make a good soldier. Then looking at my grandma, she said I was well trained and I was well drilled and all the ladies agreed that I was well trained. Well, the conversation eased off then and we settled down to the sway and the awful smell of the old tram. The old conductor man took our fares. He gave me an empty ticket, but I started counting the numbers. But that dryness came into my mouth and I started to feel too warm around the face. Jack's mum looked down at me. Hmm, he's another Jack, she said. They don't travel too good, do they? Jack used to get sick in everything that moved. Mind you, he didn't get sick on the bread cart or the milk cart. He's as good as gold with horses. But as soon as there's an engine in front of it, he's sick. 
He's been lucky up there in, in New Guinea. He says they're allowed to go everywhere on foot. Well, my grandma fixed her, don't you dare disgrace me look. But I began to swallow mouthfuls of something wet and sticky. I don't know where it comes from, but there's buckets of it. Jack's mum leaned down and half whispered, Have you tried the Junker tablets? Both Grandma and me, we both nodded. We'd tried everything. The grown-ups in my family had experimented on me with every concoction known to folk medicine and modern science. It was a major topic of conversation over cups of tea whenever I walked into the room. An ancient auntie once said, I should be starved before every journey. She said, if there was nothing in him, nothing can come out. She was diabolically wrong. Then another auntie recommended I be filled right up to the neck. She said anything will do, even slices of white bread would work. She said if I was filled right up to the top, then it wouldn't slurp around inside. She said it was the slurping that caused the problem. Didn't work, but it was much better than the starving, except for the porridge. That was lumpy both ways. The trouble was, I had an old uncle who knew everything. Now every kid has an uncle who knows lots, but mine knew everything. They said it was because he'd been to France in the Great War. He said that travel sickness has to be cured by science and that understanding the problem was half the cure. I'm sure he was right about that bit. But he said that nausea was caused by an imbalance in the inner ear. I knew about my two outside ears, and I was a bit frightened of them wanting to pull out this other one and clean it out. He said, if I were to lean my head over onto my shoulder... This would imbalance the inner ear. And that would also fool my brain. He said this was a certain cure because my brain would try to make me straighten my head up so that it could imbalance the inner ear then. And this would mean two negatives and two negatives always make a positive. We tried it. It was a bit uncomfortable and it only lasted five stops. On top of that, it was an awful position for throwing up. There's always something good comes from something bad. Because when one lady got up to get out, she gave me a thruppany bit, because she thought I'd been born like that. My uncle's main claim was that travel sickness was caused by a malfunction with the eye. He said it was caused by anything flickering past something at the back of the eye at more than the dangerous speed of 14 miles an hour. He said all they had to do was to put a blindfold on me as soon as I got on the tram and that would be the end of the trouble. They tried it. It was the last tram home and it was raining. The tram was jam-packed and we had trouble getting on. Everyone was laughing about even a tin of sardines got room for the oil. The trouble was, my auntie got on, but right in the middle compartment with the glass doors. There was hardly room to stand, but a man got up and gave me auntie his seat. She sat down and I sat on her lap. 
Everyone had their big coats on and it was hot and muggy in the compartment. But the main trouble was that we sat with our backs to the driver. Well, I was feeling swallowy even before she tied the scarf around my head. That part worked well. I couldn't see anything. Well, it lasted four stops. And that was the first time in Abbotsford tram history that people were seen jumping off the last tram home in a thunderstorm. One old lady even managed to scramble up onto the handrail even without her crutches. My uncle said we hadn't done it properly, but they didn't try again. Most of the cures centred on my stomach. I regularly chewed junker tablets before a journey. Two the night before with me dinner, two before breakfast, and two to suck on the way to the tram stop. They didn't work, of course, but they cured me of ever wanting to eat junket ever again. I could throw up even at the sight of anything white and colloidal in a bowl. But at the stop before Leichhardt, a crowd climbed on and there were no seats left in our compartment. Leichhardt always made me a bit feel sort of twitchy inside. The town hall was painted a bilious green and all the signs and the street names had been painted over. This was because if a German bomber came over, he wouldn't know where he was, as if he'd want to stop in Leichhardt. And all the tram lines crisscrossed in front of the town hall, and that was when the tram shook you about so much and bounced you up and down and side to side as you crossed all the points. And just then, as we swung around in front of the town hall, Grandma said something to me. Because of the rattle of the tram over the points, I couldn't understand what she said. And not to hear what my grandmother said brought on a worry much stronger than any business of being tramsick. I jumped over to her. What do you say, Grandma? She started to answer, but stopped. I stood in front of her, clutching her string bags, waiting for her to tell me again. But she didn't. A storm cloud came up around her, as if I had done something really wrong. What's up, Grandma? But she didn't answer. I felt my pants to make sure everything was buttoned up. Everything was all right. What's up, Grandma? She still didn't answer, and I looked at her hard in the face. Then I saw she was looking past me to where I'd been sitting, and I turned my head and looked. I couldn't believe it. Our reason for getting the tram two stops early was gone for nothing. What had happened was that while I was out of my seat, an ordinary man in ordinary clothes had moved from the other side and slid himself into my special seat. I stared at the man with horror. Our plan of fresh air that was good for me, of my being able to lean out, depended on that seat. Well, I looked at the man. I wanted to say something, but he was a grown-up. All the ladies pretended to be looking straight ahead, but they sat like they were expecting something would happen. That's the boy's seat, said my grandmother. It was, said the man. Money left it. The man looked out at the shops as we rattled past. That's the boy's seat, repeated my grandmother firmly. The boy needs that seat. Then he shouldn't have left it, said the man. 
and he started to pick his teeth with a rolled-up tram ticket. Well, I knew no one does that in front of my grandmother and survives. Grandma glared around the compartment as if checking on strength. All the seats were taken by ladies with shopping bags on their laps and they all tried to keep looking straight ahead. Jack's mum offered to squeeze up so I could sit on the other side of her. But Grandma grabbed me by the shoulder and pulled me over to her. Thank you, but the boy is with me. He sits next to me. The lady next to Grandma shuffled sideways and all the parcels and I sat down in the worst possible position. My back was to the driver. There was no fresh air. In fact, there was more castor oil and lavender fumes than air and I began to sweat. After three swallows in six succession, panic overwhelmed me. The smell of clean clothes with lavender water and musk suffused me. The overpowering smell of oil and tram paint made me feel I was wearing a collar two sizes too small, even though it wasn't even buttoned up. But the man sat there victorious, ignoring angry sideways looks from all the ladies. My grandmother seemed to pour anger on his three-piece suit, and she muttered something about civvies. But she sat solid. I was certain she would have caused trouble, and I was almost relieved that she did nothing. Besides, it was too late. Each time we lurched across the points, my grandmother and the other lady squashed me between them like two giant cushions. I began to swallow all the time. The point of no return arrived and I elbowed my grandmother to let her know I was already after having hope. Actually, your elbow went in a fair way before you came to anything. Grandma knows all my secret signs and she knows my desperation. But that day, she didn't seem to understand at all. She only concentrated on the man who'd captured my seat and she sat immovable. Well, there are times in life when you desperately need a friend, you need help. And you do have a friend who just ignores you, doesn't know you, doesn't even seem to care. Well, the, la the tram lurched and my throat filled. I managed to swallow, but I knew it wouldn't stay. They say you get three chances in life. Perhaps they're right, but you only got two swallows on an Abbotsford tram. Well, the world started to spin. My eyes went wet and my throat swelled against me. The heaving, straining pain in my stomach was out of control. Grandma, I gulped. But she sat as though I belonged to someone else. I swallowed once more and put my hand over my clamped shut mouth. The lady next to me tried to shuffle further away and the lady opposite looked for escape. There I was, starting to dog paddle in the suffusion of lavender and castor oil. I was going down for the third time and I sent out a plea for help. I frantically looked around. The far door was impossible. There was no option. I had to make a dive past my grandma for the doorway. I didn't make it. As I lurched past her, I saw the parcels in my grandmother's lap shoot onto the then-empty seat beside her. I wasn't expecting the grab on the back of my neck. It was painful, and for a moment I thought her fingers might meet in the middle of my neck. But I didn't have time to think. Her other hand jerked my hand from my mouth, twisting my arm into a half-Nelson behind me back. It hurt. I felt hatred in the grip 
and I wriggled to be free. It was hopeless. It was too late to go anywhere, and there I was, stuck, right in front of the man who had stolen my seat. Well, I won't go into the details, but he got the junker tablets, and he got the lumpy porridge with the sausages and homemade tomato sauce. My grandma makes butte tomato sauce, and there was mashed up potato with little bits of onion chopped into it. And he got the two aspirin powders, last night's fried tomato and two slices of toast with homemade apricot jam and a mug of hot Milo. Actually, the Milo had gone sour, but it was still warm. There was chewing gum I shouldn't have swallowed, a teaspoon of cod liver oil and orange juice from three days ago and a cup of tea. Well, he got the lot. At first he just roared and bucked about trying to move sideways. But Jack's mum didn't see anything. Her only move was to cover Jack's cake with a newspaper. The man screamed about stopping me. He tried to push backwards through the seat. Well, that didn't work. Those seats aren't very comfortable, but they're very strong. He kept shouting, but I couldn't hear his words. After a while, the volcano slowed down, and he got himself onto his feet and tried to push me away. He tried hard, but he couldn't beat that grip of my grandmother. I was frightened of fingers and thumbs were going to pull me head right off. Well, I knew she was strong enough. I heaved again, but the volcano had really eased off, and all I could manage was to fill his trouser cuffs in his shoes. Well, at that point, he surrendered, and he clambered down onto the conductor's running board outside and hung there shouting and shaking his fist at my grandmother. She took no notice. <laughs> she had already won. When the tram stopped... He got down and walked, arms and legs stiff like a scarecrow, to the footpath, dripping carrots all the way. I don't know where the carrots came from. We hadn't had carrots for a long time. It wasn't that time of the year. He just stood there with his arms out, and some of the ladies waved goodbye, and they wished him a happy day. But he didn't wave back. I stopped being sick then, and I stood quivering and empty, my grandmother carefully cleaned my special seat with the cloth she'd brought, just in case, and she wiped my face with a handkerchief. She even wiped the perspiration off my forehead. I sat back in my proper seat after all that, and Grandma looked at me. It was almost as if she liked me. A lady opposite leaned over to me. He'll feel much better now, she said. And Jack's mum patted me on the knee and told me again, I'd be a good soldier. She offered me a minty. I was too shaky to manage, so she unravelled it for me and popped it into my mouth. As she did so, she winked, and she told my grandma that she thought the war had taken a turn for the best, and things would soon be better. The other ladies all agreed, and they all nodded. Just before the university... Jack's mum shuffled about to get off. As she stood waiting for the tram to stop, Grandma held the cake for her and she leaned down to me. You look after your grandma, won't you? I nodded. Good boy, she said. You'll make a good soldier. And as she got down onto the running board, she winked at me and quietly pushed something into my hand. Grandma didn't see. She was busy handing back Jack's cake. The tram started and all the ladies waved goodbye and hoped Jack enjoyed his cake. They'd all become good friends. 
I kept my fists clamped until we got well underway. Then I looked. It was a coin. It was still warm from her hand, and when I looked, it was big and shiny new. I'd seen lots of them, but I'd never had one. It was my first one ever, a whole two-shilling piece, twenty-four penny ice creams. And the old king's face with his little beard smiled up at me from that coin as big as a medal to celebrate our first British victory. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au and if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe. Subscribe.